0: Welcome to the Zeal Interestings Podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from the week. I'm your host, Chris White. My co-hosts this week are Emma Castor and Frank West. Welcome to the podcast, Emma and Frank. Hey there. Hey, how's it going? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for joining me, guys. I wanted to have a wide-ranging panel of people to talk about this issue because it's so wide-ranging and there are so many different factors here. Today, we're talking about the Facebook slash Cambridge Analytica data leak story that's been in the news recently and how you can protect your own privacy and how we as application developers are involved in this sort of problem. So Frank, could you give us a brief summary of like what happened?
1: Yeah, so a news, recent news story came out Saying that Cambridge Analytica is a kind of a data mining company, data processing. They hire a bunch of data scientists. Recently, obtained fifty million records of about fifty million Facebook users. This data was not obtained by them directly, but through an application developer on the Facebook platform. And so, they, this developer, had broken terms of services and sold or gave away. Data that he had collected
0: through the use of his application on on the Facebook platform. Okay. Okay. So, kind of the headline like material is that fifty million Facebook users had this profile information taken, given by an app developer to this research firm, and the research firm had some political ties, right? Them and themselves,
1: they the whole blowout right now is that there is a guess that. It it was tied to the Trump campaign through Steve Bannon, who was a vice president at Cambridge Analytica previously before uh, joining the the campaign. But beyond that, they are not necessarily political in nature. Gotcha. They are an analytics data company. Who their clients are and who they work with could range from any politician or any company that could use their services.
0: Yeah, so it's maybe not super important that it was you know a company, an analytical company that supplied information to the Trump campaign. It may be more relevant that you know this data was acquired in a way that wasn't compatible with the terms of service, but maybe Facebook was aware of.
2: Yeah the other thing that's kind of interesting is is many news stories are calling this a data leak, but in actuality, like no profiles were hacked. Like all of the data was initially shared as a part and parcel of how the contracts worked with third party a- app developers. So you know there's a There's an aspect of, of ethics there as well, I think, of should you be able to access the profile data of another user if you're, if that user is not actually using the app for which you're, you're, you're developing. So that's another, that's another facet of this here, but that's how it was so easy to get to 50 million users.
0: So to make sure I understand that right under at least under the way this worked before and it seems like it's even true to a large degree now if someone that I am tied to on a social network and friends with on, on Facebook gives an app access to their profile information even if it's like a one-off like survey social viral app then that developer not only gets access to my friends data but some of my profile information as well. Is that my understanding that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. A lot of this, uh, like data sharing is opt out and not opt in right now. And, you know, Facebook does have a lot of very granular, uh, settings for what gets shared to different apps. But look, the point really is like, I could be a user of Facebook and never, like authorize any apps to like never interact with any like third party apps but because i have friends who are doing that they may be getting access to all of my my profile data not necessarily public profile data you know things like my hometown my education and work my app activity my bio my birthday my friends and relationships like that is not necessarily something that i have public to the world where you don't have a facebook account and you can go to my URL on Facebook and like see all of this information about it, me. But I like that data could still be shared with a third party developer of an app without my knowledge necessarily.
1: Yeah, so it's 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 really easy for Facebook and themselves or third party uh, applications to start pulling this data and build very complex detailed graphs about about you or about your friends and about like so if you're linked to this person, this person's linked to this person, and they've got permission to that, like another person's profile information, more than they would have to you because they opted into the application. It's easy for, for these uh, applications to then start drawing conclusions or relationships or, or maybe educated guesses on things that you might like or things that you should. So stories being, I, I know somebody, they know somebody, and all of a sudden this person's pregnant, that's being shared. There's now a draw that maybe I'll be seeing an ad for maternity clothes for presents or things like that. It's really easy to start building complex networks of information to to really find out if detailed information about people that you just generally wouldn't find in in my information alone. So uh, it's 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 very difficult to make sure that. You are protecting uh, your per- privacy online, uh, and that the third- party applications are are trustworthy and actually following terms of services that uh, a platform like Facebook
0: would be presenting. That is interesting. So it seems like, you know, in summary, they're you know the marketing engines of the world or you know the political engines of the world aggregate this information that they can gather from your social media presence your presence with you know your your usage of various services on the internet and they use that to tailor marketing to not only just like groups of people that are like you but also to you specifically right
2: Right. And you know, for one person to have that data shared, like, or, or I mean, I guess on a personal level, like maybe it doesn't hurt us. Like, you know, if, if uh, somebody can see, oh, I've liked Save the Whales on Facebook, and then um, they show me a bracelet that is benefiting that or an ad for a bracelet that's benefiting that nonprofit. And I'm like, oh, actually, I do want to buy that. Then like, you know, the idea is that's a positive experience for me. And that's a good thing. Like as a consumer, I'm like, this app is serving me, even though they're selling my data, basically. The problem is like when you have this sort of scale of data, the ability to make such targeted guesses is something that we've never seen before. And so I think that's why this is such a big story now. Like nobody really anticipated the scale of which you like we're looking at here.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it's the
1: problem right now is that Facebook is is in the news. They're not the problem. Um, They're one of many of these these marketing engines, as we want to call them. They are the ones that are currently scapegoated or whatever it might be. If if you look at the scale at a company like Google operates, I would say that the amount of data that Google has on people is. I don't know, and the magnitudes greater than than what Facebook has on people. Mm-hmm. The, the difference being is the amount of personal information that you share on social media is at a much much higher you know rate than you would on something like Google. Although Google searches are definitely are definitely private and personal information, there just generally is a responsibility and a pro and a, and a, and there's a responsibility for these companies to protect users by default. Right now, we're living in a world that's open by default, and unfortunately, that's, it's not, that's not widely understood. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, Facebook's not the issue. They're part of the problem, but it, it, it's almost all companies that are collecting personal information on you have the same responsibilities uh, and
0: could possibly be causing the same issues that F- Facebook is causing for people right now. It seems like there's a disconnect with what, what companies do, what they collect and how people understand that use. Perhaps like, do most of the people that use Facebook understand that, that the data that they're putting in there is being collected and aggregated in this way? I would venture to guess no. Plus all the other things they use, do they understand that, you know, their usage of systems like Google, like, like various Google services or Facebook or Twitter, et cetera, that that is being given or sold to Various people and aggregated without their knowledge. I think that there, there there's a disconnect there, right?
2: Yeah, I think there's a, a false presumption of privacy. There's a false presumption of balance, and like seeing that all of the content on Facebook is something that everyone is experiencing when in actuality, it's very, very targeted to you personally based on your consumption habits and what they think you'll engage with, what they think you'll buy. And so, yeah, I don't think people are thinking about this yet. I think people are thinking about it a lot more now. And it will become more and more common knowledge as this story kind of Continues to spread.
0: Or even more insidiously, like what kinds of things are put into Facebook for specific people's consumption in order to try to get them to believe a certain thing is true, right? Right. We've heard stories during the 2016 election where, you know, maybe foreign adversaries created a lot of Facebook content in order to influence people's opinions or what people believe is true about lots of things, right?
2: Right, exactly. And this is enabled by the specific targeting.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's amazing at the level that consumers don't understand the situation. It's easy as as app developers or as, as technical people to kind of blow it off and know that you know there was a, a statement in one of our Slack channels. Like I, mm-hmm. I assume everything I post online is going to be seen by everybody, so I'm very careful. The likelihood that that's the state of mind of the majority of consumers in the world is is very very low. So you know, the, the, there's the old cliche of. If the product's free, you are the product. So the idea that the targeting, the ads, everything—it's amazing how how much of a bubble it creates for users of these platforms. You know, the the bubble that Frank in California lives in on Facebook is going to be very different than the bubble that Frank in Nebraska uh, lives in because there's different things that are important to those regions. So targeting and and what you're seeing on these platforms is very much specific to to where you live, to who you like, to the things you, you watch. So I, I believe it creates a pretty tight bubble for you if you do not find information outside in mm-hmm. five, six different sources that it's it's easy to kind of be directed on what your beliefs are.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty thought-provoking. Like, it's possible to be on a worldwide internet But experience something 90 plus percent of your experiences because you're going through these platforms because you spend time on Facebook are targeted to you are within the world, the the world and worldview that you live in, right?
2: Yeah, there were a lot of surveys around and just after the 2016 election of where people consume their media, their news. And a large number of consumers said that they got most of their news from Facebook or from social media, maybe from Twitter. And so like the presumption of balance is just not accurate. And so when you're receiving such targeted information, you have a very skewed understanding of the world.
1: Interesting. Yeah and I think it's I think it's easy even to look at the the technology aspect and for me personally I haven't been on Facebook in almost a decade and and I don't get my news on Facebook I don't get I get my news on Hacker News and sometimes that's a that's an issue in itself
2: There yeah there might be some group there as well
1: your worldview is very well balanced, in- and <laughs> my bubble is is very cynical and thought provoking via the tech tech world. Gotcha. But you look at the same problems outside of the tech network news. All these, you know, whether if you just sit and watch CNN all day, you're also just being directed in how your beliefs are. So I think it's I think it's important to to mix all of your information from a, a variety of sources. There's a lot of things that are probably great on Facebook but there's a lot of things that are going to be misleading and the same is true almost everywhere you go it's it's about being informed
0: so before we move on are there any other like actionable Pieces of advice that we would give just anybody that uses social media. It seems like at the very least auditing your privacy preferences, like Emma was saying, is a good idea. How was that experience when you looked at it recently?
2: I was kind of amazed at how many things were enabled by default. I, you know, I think about like I've had Facebook since like 2007 and like the Facebook experience is very different from the time. Which I registered, you know, there have been a lot of features over the years that have been added and things that have been moved around in the site. And, you know, you kind of forget things get enabled by default. And so I didn't realize how many blue check marks were, were checked of permissions that I was just giving Facebook.
0: As well, there's usually a screen in social platforms like Twitter and Facebook for seeing what apps have access to your information. And it's probably a good idea to have a look at those. I I think that right after the data leak occurred, Twitter started notifying people that, hey, you can visit the screen where you can look at what apps have access to your data, coincidentally, today.
2: Yeah, you can actually download every interaction you've ever had with Facebook since you... Signed up. And that would be a really, really interesting exercise. I haven't done it yet, but I'm definitely going to. It
1: would be interesting for, for. I look at my wife who's on Facebook constantly. I, I, I wonder if she just hit that download data button that they have. It's hidden somewhere, but it's there, like where you can download all your data. I wonder if she'd be really surprised at the amount of information that she's put in the into the machine, as we as I like to call it, uh, and and see like does that scare people on the consumer side? Because she's not not a techie person. So if if I was to follow that process with her and da- have her download all her data, would she be surprised? And and would she? think twice about the amount of stuff that she puts on there.
0: And I wanted to take another tack at this, you know, we're application developers, you know, software developers, software developers are part of this whole kind of this whole picture. What should we as software developers be doing or thinking about when we're creating software that involves people's data?
2: I personally am of the opinion that things should be opt-in rather than opt-out, especially when it comes to like user permissions and sharing personal data. That's not A trend that we've seen a lot, I don't think, but I I think it is important because a lot of people just have assumptions of how the app is working.
1: Yeah, the the opt in, opt out argument is is fantastic, and it, the problem we see is that we're dealing with for profit companies, right? So that this this mm-hmm. opt out model is it's much much easier for them to deal with.
2: Yeah, they're not incentivized to do this. Yeah, no,
1: there's nothing there's uh, until until governments get involved, and, and then there's issues with government overregulation and stuff like this. But uh, Europe has taken a pretty hard stance on some of these things to protect users. <laughs> So I, I think the opt-in, by default, is, is our best uh, strategy. Having uh, clear privacy policies, things are things that are not so much legalese and are very hard for people mm-hmm. to to read. Nobody reads them, so that's an issue. I mean yep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've ever read one, and I know that the problem exists, but they're, they're so long and they're hard to read, and you know, I have a, a sense of trust. Sometimes with with developers and, with companies, yeah, yeah, things
0: that I probably should not have. But uh, yeah, yeah, great points for for Emma opting. It seems like companies could do a better job of having a an every person version of their privacy policy and then the legalese version that makes you know lawyers happy.
2: Well, it's like whose whose responsibility is it to educate users on how their data is being used? I mean, like you know, you'd like to believe that it's the company or the product creator who should be doing this, but also like they're not incentivized to do it. Like There are really three places the change can come from. It can come from the companies themselves saying like, hey, we're going to be ethical about the way we create our software. It can come from the government saying like, hey, it's not okay the way you're manipulating users and we're going to regulate how you write your software. And then it's the users themselves saying like, hey, we don't want to be exploited anymore. So we're going to take a stand whether it's through boycott, through just talking to each other and making each other aware, sharing of information and advocating for ourselves and for each other that the change is really going to happen.
0: I actually like, want to expand on that. You said, you know, as a company, we're going to be ethical about how we create software. I think that even as individual developers, if we see things that, uh, you know, we think are at risk for exploitation, I think that. We can take it upon ourselves to at least ask the questions, right? Absolutely. Uh, and as consultants, that's something that people even ask us to do: uh, is to be a voice into what they could be doing better. Take it upon yourself to at least ask the question.
1: Yeah. So, so there's been brought up several times: uh, should our kind of should our career or path or, or us as engineers have a Hippocratic Oath, right? So should we follow something very similar to what physicians have to have to follow? And and so. What would that look like for companies? What would that look like for, for us as developers? In the, in the general gist, everybody kind of, the first and foremost is do no harm, right? So the ACM, which is the Associating Computing Machinery, actually have this. So not, not a lot of people are an ACM member or uh, know much about the ACM, but they do have something for, for us as professionals to follow. It's called the ACM Code of Ethics and Professional Conduct. Just reading through that and, and generally getting yourself familiar with what a like a, a powerful
0: uh, organization like the ACM, what they expect out of us. I've, I was not aware of that organization. I'll have to we'll have to include that link in our show notes. You know, I think it is interesting. It is a good point. As a career path, as software engineers, we have a lot of impact on the world. You know, not not the same as doctors obviously, but like doctors, like physical engineers, um, you know, like architects, but we don't have a lot of the same governance structures in our profession. Yeah, but it's, it's it's quickly coming to the point
1: where we have more power and more opportunities to hurt people. So as technology grows and as we as we start to see machines do more and more, uh, these opportunities for for us as software engineers to to stop or to prevent or to at least ensure that the the things that we're creating are generally creating a better world uh, and protecting people is is probably going to become more and more relevant uh, as we as we continue to evolve into the
0: technological advances that we're we're seeing today yeah definitely Well, I think that that's a solemn but positive note to wrap up on. If there are professional software developers listening to this, I would encourage you to think about the impact that you have via what you do and audit yourself and your company as to what you can do and what questions you should be asking about how how things are done. So yeah, uh, thank you so much, Emma and Frank, for joining me on this panel discussion. Absolutely. It's
2: been a pleasure.
0: And thank you everyone for listening. If you want even more Interestings, my friend Frank puts together this great newsletter every other week. Randy does the opposite weeks. Uh, and he, puts, he pulls together all these links and creates an easy-to-digest newsletter. So please subscribe. That's at codingzeal.com slash Interestings. Or you can follow us on Twitter at codingzeal. Thanks so much.